This is either going to be our shortest or longest episode. I hope it's shortest, but <laughs> just because I got <laughs> yeah. lots of shit to do, man. This is the theme song at the start of the show. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Gonna watch a movie, got a thousand more to go. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Watching everything on Disney seeming like a chore. And since I started singing, they already added more. So stop wasting time on the theme song. Just tell us the name of the show. Alright, let's talk to that. Hello and welcome to the podcast for tennis shoes, the podcast where we watch and rank all 1,787 movies on Disney Plus. I am Rob and I am here with my co-hosts, Sean and Bob. And Sean, how are you doing today? Uh, well, I'm doing pretty good, Rob. I got to take it pretty easy. Didn't need to do the intro. Got to take a short little nap there. So I'm all fresh and refreshed and uh, you were close. I had it as 1,786, but if we count the 26-minute stop-motion short Mickey Saves Christmas... We can say it's 1,787, so let's just say it's 1,787. That to- was a guess off the dome, and I am pretty happy with myself, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and, uh, Bob, how are you doing? Was that a Gordon Bombay I saw on your hand? Uh, yes, it is, good sir. Nothing gets past you. Is it bad that I recognize it by the color, based on how many of them you drank during the Mighty Ducks? <laughs> uh, yep. That would be the little bit of the uh, Gordon's uh, Sicilian lemon gin that is coloring this delicious drink. I've actually had myself a few of these uh, over the course of the weekend. I uh, had another Christmas party. Uh, I really like them. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> They're not bad. But, uh, Bobby, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking, Rob. Guys, I'm sorry. I am I am sorry that we're doing Avatar. I'm going to take responsibility for this. It was my idea. Yeah. And I feel so dirty saying this. I can't I can't wash it off. It's it's that SEO, man. That search engine optimization. It's because of you, uh-huh. the listeners. If there's anyone out there who like Googled Avatar and found our podcast and they're listening to this for the first time, this is because of you that we are talking about Avatar. Uh, it's so long. It's it took up so much of my mental capacity this week. I had to watch it in two two settings. I couldn't get through it all. You know what's funny is I I, I watched it. I also watched it in two chunks because I was just like I can't sit through this whole movie. Yeah. Later that night, I watched Inception all at once. <laughs> Inception is 14 minutes shorter. But Inception's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. So that's a key difference right there. When did you pause it, Bobby? When did you stop? What was uh, what was happening? I think he was just learning to hunt. Okay. So that's anywhere between minute 35 and minute <laughs> 1 hour 52. Yeah. Most of the movie is that. Yeah. I watched this movie and then I kind of skimmed through it again to like organize my thoughts, which was a mistake. <laughs> uh, it's put me in a terrible mood. As I was going through, I was like, nothing fucking happens in this movie. Like, I was, no. like, jotting down the general outline. It's mostly how to hunt. It's like a movie you watch in <laughs> elementary school where they, like, fire up the reel-to-reel and it's like, welcome to How to Hunt on Pandora. I had 
kind of the opposite note at the beginning. I thought it was very efficient. He doesn't, I, I know apparently there was a whole like 20 minute, 30 minute opening of them like on Earth that they entirely scrapped. Like he almost shot an entire oh film God. of them on Earth. It's kind of efficient at the beginning. They're just like, eh, they're at Pandora. Okay, the introduction of this movie is the only part of this movie that is effectively efficient. It starts out and he's already there and in like three very corny and clumsy and clunky lines of dialogue, he introduces how he got there. Yeah. And it takes like a minute and a half and you're like into it. Bam. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, this is quite effective and this is very streamlined storytelling. And then the next 20 minutes or so are just exposition dump after exposition dump. It's just he meets a person. That yep. person gives like a seven-minute speech about their relationship to the movie and what their character is and all of their interests and motivations. It feels like a modern AAA video game where you can't fucking get out of the tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every time you walk into a new room, somebody walks up and they're like, oh, I have to introduce who I am and everything I can do and all your relationship with me. And you're like, just fuck it. You're just smashing the B button. You're like, fucking skip, do something. Oh, skip my the God. Cut another cutscene. I get it. Let us introduce you how to work an avatar again. And you're like, I already did this. I already learned how this works. I don't want to do it again. Oh. If, if you guys, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. If you were to come up for... uh Maybe an alternate title or a subtitle for this film. What would it be? Uh, well, Fern Gully has been taken. Same with Dances with Wolves and Pocahontas. Boring fucking hetero white cis man fails upwards the movie. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's fair. Yep. I put a question to you now. This movie ends, right? Like, there's a clear end to this movie where nothing, nothing more can happen, right? <laughs> well, things can happen. The universe doesn't end. What are you talking about? But I'm, how are there four more movies about this? Oh, well, I think we should... we should Come up with plots? <laughs> come up with what the plots of those movies are. It's going to be, and the white people come back. Two, the white people come back. Three, the white people come back. Four, and the white people come back. Five. The first movie is uh, white people fuck up the land. Yep. Second movie is white people fuck up the water. Yep. Okay. Mm. Third movie is white people fuck up the air. Yep. Okay. Uh, fourth movie is white people fuck up fire in a volcano. Um, I assume he's going to end run this in through the back door to actually just make it into Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> like every movie. <laughs> it's all the elements. It's a different <laughs> elemental theme. Is the fifth movie then, then, then the white people get bored and leave the planet? Then they fuck up the space. <laughs> fuck up the space. The one place free from capitalism. <laughs> Except clearly not. <laughs> Clearly not. Before we go any further, I'm going to do a little bit of a background on this film for the audience. We've kind of like effed and jeffed for a little while, but uh, I want to talk to people about the fact that Avatar, if you didn't know, is the highest grossing film of all time. Twice. Twice over. And the highest grossing film before that was Titanic, another Jim Cameron movie. Anyway, this movie came out in 2009 after 15 years of pre-production. James Cameron originally wrote the treatment for it in 1994, but they figured there was no technological way to do it. So he decided to invent a bunch of submarines for 10 years. And find Jesus. And he found Jesus's tomb. Yeah. He did a few other things that were on his to-do list. He checked it off. He was like, <laughs> find Titanic, go to the deepest part of the ocean found Jesus's tomb. Only thing left on his to-do list is make Avatar. <laughs> and then once he did that, he was like, well, I make more Avatar? I, <laughs> yeah. I guess. There's some very heavy vegan propaganda in between that. But Wait, what? Vegan propaganda? In between what? The, the Game Changers. That Netflix documentary about 
stopping to eat meat. And they, yeah, I also read too that for catering on this set, everything was plant-based. Not that there's anything wrong with going vegan or being plant-based. I, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Well, your use of the term propaganda kind of seemed a little pejorative, but, uh, no, no, no. It's it, only because from what I gather, Game Changers was like specifically that. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it, so I can't really comment on that. So James Cameron, after stopping the world from eating meat and finding Jesus and um, going to the deepest, darkest part of the ocean. <laughs> the deepest, darkest, blackest part of the ocean. The Mariana's Trench. Sorry. <laughs> That's going to get cut. I already hate this episode. <laughs> you can tell that we all literally want to talk about anything but Avatar. <laughs> He finally made Avatar in 2009, okay? The world kept trying to keep him from doing it, okay? Fate <laughs> kept trying to intervene to be like, don't make this fucking movie. And he was like, no. And then he made it anyway. And in 2009, it came out and people went to see it. And then they didn't stop going to see it. It was just out forever. And in 2010, CNN wrote a story about how people were suicidal and depressed because they couldn't spend all of their time watching Avatar because they so desperately wanted to live on Pandora. Part of that was the revolutionary technological breakthroughs that he made in terms of 3D, in terms of stereoscopic projection, in terms of motion capture technology, in terms of virtual camera. <sighs> Otherwise, Robbie, how does this movie start? <laughs> No, you perfectly summed up me pressing play on my TV. <laughs> I think we all had that feeling. I will say that I enjoyed a, a decent chunk of the pretty lights. It's a technical marvel. Like, this movie is 13 years old, and just like going back and watching Terminator 2, you're like, wow, this movie still looks amazing. Yeah. Parts of it. But parts of it, yeah. But part, but so long as there's not a physical human anywhere near anything, like all of this movie looks great. Uh, this movie starts with mega superstar circa 2009, <laughs> Sam Worthington, Australia's own Sam Worthington. He is a uh, marine who was injured in action uh, and in a wheelchair, and his brother. Uh, he has an identical twin brother who happens to be some sort of scientist with seven PhDs or whatever the hell it is, uh, who's going to... Were they raised by different parents? Yes. Like, yeah. how how do you have a tw an identical twin brother? Uh-huh. Like, did one of you get, like, the evil gene or something? Yeah, that's like, what it was. why... Maybe they were separated at birth. Do they have such divergent personalities and lives? They clearly have no parents because his brother's funeral consists of two guys in suits <laughs> burning him in a cardboard box in a warehouse in front of him while they convince him to take his job. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Okay, fair enough, yeah. fair enough. They're identical twins, but they were raised in separate foster homes. Yeah. I already like this movie more. You, you, <laughs> you fixed one part of it, Bobby. Moving. Maybe you could do that for all of it. Maybe by the end of this, I'm going to love this movie because Bobby's going to fix every part of it. So we get, uh, we get Sam Worthington's amazing acting. Uh, of him watching his oh, brother, fuck. literally his his brother's body burn. Uh, and I don't think he actually emotes. I think he was thinking about what, what he was going to have for lunch. Yeah, what, what plant-based food he'd be getting served or crafty. 
Yeah, yeah. There's two things I want to say about Sam Worthington's... Well, I'm going to talk a lot about his performance, if you can call it a performance. But there's two things I want to say off the bat. First of all, he can't get through the first fucking sentence of the movie without falling backwards into his Australian accent. Yeah. Like, the movie opens, and he's like, blown through the middle of my life. And it's like, what? It was the first one, and James Cameron was like, shit. <laughs> That's the one we got to go with. That's the opening line of dialogue. He tries really hard to do an American accent. And by try, I mean tries in the same way Keanu Reeves tried to do a British accent in Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> At times in the movie, it's almost convincing. Yeah. It's no. monotone, but it's convincing. But the first line of the movie, <laughs> it's like just a straight up Australian accent he just <laughs> throws out there. It's very strange. The second thing I'll say is that, yes, Sam Worthington does absolutely no acting in this movie. And it's a problem. And I want to get to parts of it. It's not just a problem criticizing him as an actor. It makes it very hard for me to follow the narrative. His acting is so bad, I can't follow the plot of the movie. And his acting is dramatically better when he's a Navi, which yeah. makes me think that Weta actually, like, animated acting. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, 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 he yeah. needs an animator to come in and, like, animate him to become an actor. Because, like, as a Navi, it's like, oh, he's kind of acting now. <laughs> what does he have to do, really? He's just, like, talking to camera. He's talking to a webcam. He's basically doing a podcast. Well, he narrates the whole fucking thing. Yeah, he does. Um, so, yeah, that's the, that's how the movie starts. Uh, Sam Worthington's brother uh, is uh, burning in a cardboard box. In a warehouse. In a warehouse. The, the funeral of a foster child. Yeah. And there's two nondescript uh, government agents or corporate... Corporate agents, because this is a corporately owned enterprise. They And they, they say to him, this could be a good opportunity for you to step into your brother's shoes. And then he awkwardly looks at the other corporate guys that feels like, shit, I made a, I made a walking joke. But, 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 but. We don't know at that point in time that he's in a wheelchair. Except, except for the fact that he's, like, sitting in a wheelchair in the warehouse. You don't see the wheelchair, though. He's just sitting down, I, I think. Yeah, but in the context of the scene, it's very strange. Like, it's, you know, this isn't like Lost Episode 3 Walkabout, where yeah, 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 yeah. they come up with contrivances to almost pass off the fact that you don't notice that he's supposed to be in a wheelchair. In this situation, everyone's standing but him. Yeah. It doesn't even come across as a reveal when they reveal right. the wheelchair. And then the next time you see him, he's on a spaceship for, what, was it six years or something? They were in cryosleep. Five years, seven months or something, yeah. Pandora. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he's gonna go uh, pilot uh, an avatar. Uh, so they take your DNA and they splice it with the DNA of the blue people and they make you a half human, half Navi clone uh, so you can old man war yourself into uh, this avatar. Yeah, that's pretty much it. By the way, if you guys who are listening haven't read Old Man's War by John Scalzi, you should read Old Man's War. It's awesome. Oh, it's way better than this. <laughs> yeah, it's the I mean, it's not the same plot. It's a more militaristic plot. But basically, they got a bunch of old people. They clone them, make them giant green people. James Cameron had lawyered up like quite seriously for this movie because apparently he got sued by a lot of people. Because everyone else has written this movie before. Yeah. Fern Gully, Dances with Wolves. Yeah. It's such a generic plot. I mean, that's the whole premise, right? That's the entire premise of this is he did not care about the story. He just cared about the technology. And he's like, I'm going to remake a film, but just focus entirely on 
the technology portion of it. He took like seven scripts and pushed them all together and said, yeah, good. But this is also like the history of Jim Cameron. Like, I love the Terminator, but like there's a very large lawsuit involved with the production like after that movie was released. And that's where you get the entitled credit of acknowledgement of the works of Harlan Ellison because uh, he was sued like mm-hmm. quite like pretty much right after that film got released. All right. So where were we? One thing I do want to say is that at the beginning of this movie, he wakes up in space after giving us a very, very quick summary of his brother being burned in a furnace. He wakes up in space and the camera focuses on his eyes as they open up. He looks around, gathers his bearings, and then the camera racks focus back to focus on a drop of water that is floating in front of his face. And I point this out because when I saw the movie, stereoscopic 3D, that's the first kind of like image in the movie, and they very obviously flaunt how good their 3D is, but they do it in a subtle way like that. They just rack focus to a drop of water that's floating in front of this guy's face. And watching it, I was like, holy fucking shit. That's the best fucking 3D I've ever seen in my life. And then I never got to see that again because at home it's in 2D. So the rest of this movie, (laughs) I cannot compliment any of that. All I can go is that in 2009, I remember thinking the 3D was pretty good. But unfortunately, that's gone. Rob, you have a 3D TV, don't you? I have a 3D TV that still works. And I have two sets of glasses. So next time you're in Did you watch Avatar in 3D? I did not. Um... I just watched it on Disney+. Plus. It was too much effort to charge up my 3D glasses. Do they even have the 3D option on Disney+. Plus? No, I I looked. They don't even have the option? Fuck. Don't hate me, but I think I own this on 3D Blu-ray. If you have a 3D TV, why wouldn't you? Like, that's fair. It's it's like the most obvious example of what to have. Yeah. It's funny, though, that Disney Plus doesn't even stream this in 3D. Yeah. Like, so much of this movie was made for stereoscopic projection, and... It's not even an option Yeah, <laughs> in, like, our modern world. It's bizarre. All right. So what happens next, Bobby? You meet some of the other people. Is this where you're introduced to the side character, the guy that was best friends with his brother? No, not yet. Basically, we get a bunch of exposition shots of him describing Pandora, describing the whole backstory, him coming to Pandora from Earth, and the camera's showing the spaceship arriving. It's showing Pandora. The camera's zooming around a CG spaceship, and you see Pandora. It's a moon of a gas giant. They fly down into it, and... They reveal the exposition that you cannot go outside because it's poisonous air and you will be unconscious in 20 seconds and you will be dead in three minutes or something. So you have to wear a gas mask at all times. Again, it's just exposition. Next scene, more exposition. Here's how oxygen works on this planet. The atmosphere is part uh, ammonia and also hydrogen sulfide, uh, which is also called swamp gas. Um, so basically Pandora smells like shit. The entire planet smells like shit. So the Navis are just sniffing rotten eggs, like, the entire time. Well, we smell it as rotten eggs. They probably smell it as something different. Sure. Cool. Oh, that's gold content, boys. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I don't fucking understand about this movie is how they keep talking about how Pandora has lower gravity than Earth, but never represented. show that (laughs) in any fucking way. Like, it never comes up in the plot. It never comes up visually, unless that's the explanation for the floating mountains, but that no, makes it's no not. sense. No, it's not. They're magnetic. Oh, sorry. They're in... What was it called? The flux capacitor? The flux vortex? <laughs> Every time they said that, I laughed so hard. But, like, they mentioned a few times, oh, this place is such low gravity, and it's like, does it? Like, okay, I guess maybe if it has, like, 
0.5 of a percent lower gravity that wouldn't be noticeable to the way people walk or move maybe Mm -hmm. but like why would you even put that in the plot and then not have it be integrated visually or narratively right. in like what is the point of that it comes up like three times it really confused me yeah you're right it gets mentioned a lot and it was specifically mentioned by Stephen lang when he's getting buff yeah there's like low gravity gonna make you soft boy as like this old man is just ripped beyond belief can we talk about Stephen lang now he's fucking awesome in this movie he's so good in this movie i wrote like <laughs> i have two positives one of them is Stephen lang and the other one is uh zoe saldana Oh, yeah. She's amazing in this. Like, legitimately, like, her performance comes through all of that CG. Like, she is great. They're both really good. I'm not sure anyone else is. Even Sigourney Weaver, who I normally love. She's, she's phoning, phoning it in. She doesn't give a fuck. Everything else is, it's tough to get through. I actually, as much as he is just Paul Reiser, uh, Giovanni Ribsy's actually good in the movie. Yeah, he's, he's pretty racist in it. Be supposed to be. Stephen Lang. Every single line of dialogue is a first draft of an 80s villain. Because that's what James Cameron knows how to write. Correct, yeah. And in Aliens and in Rambo 2, it's filmed and acted in a way that facilitates that dialogue. Right. Except in this movie, <laughs> other than Stephen Lang, no. everybody's fucking reading it in the most monotone, boring <laughs> voice possible. And it sounds so fucking stupid because it's all – even Michelle Rodriguez, who seems like she'd be perfect for a James Cameron film, yeah. is like she has no energy. Like what is happening in this movie? I I think it's because a lot of people – it was so motion capture based. It has a lot of like Hayden Christensen and Attack of the Clones problems. Where yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Stephen Lang is just like, I, I know how to lift weights. I've got this giant mech suit that I'm climbing into. So he actually probably was like, and all I got to do is uh, is shit, shit like, uh, you got to be on your toes or they'll kill you and chew your nuts and for jujubes or something. I don't know what his lines are. Oh, my God. Okay, I want to talk about that scene. So they get to the planet. They're on this corporate mining base. There's a heavy amount of security there. It's militaristic, although it's not a military. It's a private military. I have to say the CG in this opening thing fucking sucks ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks terrible. It, the base looks terrible. It's not as bad as Reign of Fire, okay? This is not Matthew McConaughey jumping no, it's into not Rain a bed, But it's close. It's pretty bad. It's a step above the brownies, but not much. So again, <laughs> you're starting off the movie... Sam Worthington's first line of dialogue, he can't do an American accent. Your first look at Pandora fucking visually sucks. And you're like, James Cameron, we have $200 million invested in this. What is happening? <laughs> he gets into the base and you meet um, the the commander. What's his name? Quidditch? I don't, it's Stephen Lang. You, you meet Commander, commander Keen, Commander Quidditch. Quaritch. Courage. You're pretty close, actually. <laughs> so Stephen Lang does a welcome to Pandora speech, and he walks through, and he says, you've come to the worst place in the universe. <laughs> and he says, if there is a hell, you might want to go there for some R&R after spending any time on Pandora. On this planet, every living plant an animal and bird wants to kill you and eat your eyeballs for juju jerry jelly beans <laughs> and he gives this long speech about how horrifying pandora is and i just want to jump ahead now to the moment when he goes out into pandora for the first time <laughs> 
I know what you're going to say. And it's like fucking Hawaii where they're playing basketball. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the most beautiful place in the world. And it's not even like, oh, that one place is safe and it's, like, misleading. Like, when you go out into Pandora, yeah, there's, like, some fucking jaguar creatures and some wolf creatures. But they have those on Earth. Yep. He describes it as if it's Skull Island. As if, like, every single plant is going to eat you. The uh, the bug scene from Skull Island. I was expecting that. But it's, yeah, as you said, it's a jaguar and it's a couple of wolves. But they're all space versions. I actually made notes. There's like, oh, there's a space lemur. There's a space rhino, a space panther, and then some fluff. Yeah. Oh, and then some space hyenas. Like, But besides that, it's a pretty sweet place. It's beautiful. Everything's like, everything's in black light and technicolor. Like, it's great. But it's like, it's basically like Thailand. It's like you went to Thailand <laughs> and it's like, yeah, if you wander into the jungle... Something might eat you. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, like, otherwise, it's nice. And, uh, <laughs> you know. And, uh, they say that, um, the, the main, that we get introduced to the physiology of the, the Navi people that they're like eight feet tall. Uh, they've got carbon, carbon fiber, fiber bones. <laughs> carbon fiber bones. Um, and then when he's on his, uh, when he's his trip to the base, uh, on the tarmac, there's a bunch of arrows in the mining equipment, right? But they never seem to attack the base. Like, they are perfectly fine there. They don't give a shit about it, provided they're not, like, literally actively blowing up their home. The Navi people do not care about them. So, like, just hang out. Have fun. They have, like, an entire military. They have multiple aircraft carriers, it seems like. They have, like, a helicarrier. They don't need any of that shit. Like, they're fighting a fucking jaguar? A thanator is what they call it. It's just, it's a jaguar. It's like, oh, we better get another fucking helicarrier in here. <laughs> So after you get this Stephen Lang military exposition scene, you're like, okay, finally, we're going to get to some of the movie. And it's like, no, now we get the scientist exposition scene. Again, I'm just like, fucking hell, another cutscene. Press B, press B, press B. It's like, now now walk into this room and go talk to this character. And another guy introduces his backstory and talks about something else that you need to know to like be able to operate in the rest. Of Remember to press A to jump. It seems like that's the dialogue yeah. of every single fucking character in this movie. And you're just like, oh, God. And then after him, it's Giovanni Ribisi. And he gives the backstory of the corporation. And he, like, painfully walks through. He's like, remember, we're here to get this. And he walks over to his office where he has the piece of unobtainium that he shows people every time he gives his exposition dump. Because this little rock goes for 12 million a kilo. That's the only reason why we're here. This pays for your whole science party. Or whatever his line of dialogue is. Yeah, because it's a mining operation. There's some element on this planet that is only available on Pandora, and that's what this corporation does. It mines unobtainium. Whatever. Okay. And unobtainium was the best thing he could come up with. I hated that line when I saw the movie in 2009 and was like, yep, it's worse now. It got worse. Look, James Cameron, we are ragging on him for this script, right? But a lot of it works. Mm. A lot of it does. And then when you get to the final act and there's action, he knows how to shoot action really well. His movies mostly work. I like a lot of his other movies. I'm not anti-James no, no. Cameron. There's, there's, I love Aliens. It's one of my favorite films. I've never seen Piranha 2, but- You'd be hard-pressed to find a James Cameron movie that I don't like. There was long sections of this film where I wasn't taking notes and I was just watching it. And I was like, wait, 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 I gotta watch this critically. But, like, even in this two-hour and 40-minute film, I found a lot of it engrossing. And it's basically Dances with Wolves or Fern Gully. It's just, it managed to make it into something that 
on the whole, was a film that made right. $2.7 billion. <laughs> like, clearly there's something there. Holy fuck, you know what? I just remembered we never did our reoccurring segment. Oh, yeah. Did anybody write a review this week? I don't, let's check. I have a theme song and everything. Let's take a look. Let's, let's take, take a, a peek. peek. Did anybody write a review this week? Ding! No. Nobody wrote a review this week. Ding! All right. Back to the show. $2.7 billion. I am aware, but it was... And I realized that, like, nobody else really cared because it's a flash-in-the-pan line, but it's literally anything. I don't know. It bugs me. It's such a stupid word. I, I, I gotta say, Bob, I don't hate that word. Out of all of the things that bug me in this movie, that's not one of them. And I understand why it's stupid to you. But to me, like, have you actually looked at the table of elements? Have you actually looked at some of those names, like, near the bottom? <laughs> There's some dumb names. At the scrapyard, we actually had a periodic table of elements up because we bought some of the weirder ones, like tungsten carbide or, like, wolves. It's it's, it's wolf is in the name because of the guy that made it. So I, I understand what you're saying. On the bottom line, there's shit like Einsteinium and shit. And it's like... People just throw out a name and then like the committee adopts it and then everyone has to call it that from now on. I don't know. I can totally believe like some original scientific exploration party describes this element and then says, oh, it's really hard to get because it's under this fucking tree. And some scientist is like, oh, I'm just going to call it unobtainium. Some committee signs off on that name and then they're stuck with it for like the rest of time. I don't know. It doesn't really bother me that much. Um, of all the things in this movie. It's fair. Uh, the movie Future Man, or the TV show Future Man, this was an actual plot point uh, in in one of them. They have to get their time travel juice. It's energy. It's basically the stuff that goes into the flux capacitor, and it's called Cameroonium, uh, and it's because James Cameron found it uh, in the Marianas Trench. <laughs> it's basically the same thing. <laughs> What's really funny is I didn't get a chance to make the joke, and I was going to say to Sean, you know, if he would have called the element Cameron Cameronium or something, I wouldn't have hated it so much <laughs> right? without any knowledge of this Future Man show. <laughs> that, that, that line doesn't bug me. I just think it's stupid. Yeah. Uh, we'll very quickly get to the things that bug me. It's a first pass, man. There's a lot of things that like bug me very deeply about this movie, but we'll get to those. <sighs> and so after this boring exposition scene where we're treated to Giovanni Ribisi playing golf for a little while and then he does exposition, we now get another exposition scene where Sigourney Weaver explains her relationship to the research project and how how the Avatar program works. Keep in mind, all of this has been explained in one of the other previous exposition scenes we've gotten. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tutorial that won't end. And you're like, I get it, Sigourney Weaver. Please, just let me start shooting things. Let me start shooting those <laughs> Panthers, please. It's why I bought the game. But uh, Sigourney Weaver comes out, and she cares about as much as her character does <laughs> uh, in in getting through this scene. She yeah. just says the dialogue and says, yeah, here's your fucking Navi thing, and, and this is other shit. And F fuck it. Just put the, close the lid. Like, I don't care. Which uh, I gotta, I got to ask. Um, what happens if you gotta go to the bathroom? There's probably a piss tube. Okay. Didn't look like a piss tube. You wanted this movie to be even longer? <laughs> you wanted this movie to have piss tube scenes yeah. in it, Rob? We've seen enough, okay? <laughs> I was just like, I thought of this while I was, while I was watching it. I was like, he's been in that avatar for like, like eight hours, right? He's doing all that hunting. I was like, does he just hold it the whole time? He's probably wearing Depends. Some space Depends. Yeah? 
Okay, so from here, Sam Worthington's uh, very monotone, boring narration turns into even more monotone, halting, boring narration. And for a second, you go, you couldn't do another take of this? And then it shows that he's actually talking into a video diary. That is kind of the structural explanation for why Sam Worthington is going to be able to narrate through this entire movie is because he's doing these like reality television confessional. Yeah, he's going to the confession booth. (laughs) And uh, he does the last one at the very end. I'm skipping ahead, right? And it says like 89 or 90 at the bottom, right? And he's there for more than three months. And so he has not been doing the science. That's actually close, though. And, like, he's you're, he's not in the suit every day, probably. There's probably days where he has to not be in it. Like, it's, 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 that's not, that's probably close. What does, what does the body do in those days? What, what, is, he, what is he doing? Like, he takes, he takes weekends off? Like, is this just, like, Zoe Saldana <laughs> comes up to him and is like, hey, hey, Jake, wake up. And he's just like, uh, I guess he's not working today. <laughs> Jake Sullivan's yeah. Navi just sleeps through the weekend. Yeah, <laughs> literally doesn't move for 48 hours. Maybe that's what happens when he's got to go take a shit, is the fact that, like, Zoe yeah. Saldana has to, like... Drag his body for a <laughs> while. back to home tree. <laughs> like, during this podcast, yeah, 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 and I'm yeah. like, you guys carry on, I'm going to run to the washroom. And then you guys keep talking, and then I edit it out later so that nobody notices that. But in this circumstance, they're, like, fucking hunting <laughs> the armored Thanator. Yeah. And he's like, shit, I got to take a piss. Drag my body for five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Maybe these questions will be answered in Way of the Water. Okay, I never, I haven't got around to it though, but I just want to talk about it visually. These video confessionals that he does, they're shot with very, very deep focus. And most of this movie is shot with very wide angle lenses, very deep focus. And it's because they're shooting these stereoscopic images where they want to have the background in focus enough that you can actually see something that has depth to it. It's not just, oh, that blurry thing seems far away, so that you can actually see something that's far away and see something that's close up. But these video confessionals are extremely deep depth of field, and every shot is like Sigourney Weaver in the background, like talking to him, and then a bunch of people in lab coats, like crossing back and forth as the person talks directly to camera. And the only thing I can think about it is that it looks like a pre-show from like a Disney World theme park ride where you're waiting in line and you see like the video of somebody who's like oh you're gonna get on the avatar and here's and there's a whole bunch of like people in lab coats walking behind (laughs) them and it's just one long shot like they just set the camera up and they're just like do it and then they're done or the other thing that it looks like is FMV cutscenes between the action levels where it cuts back. It's like, you did really good out there today, but you're going to have to go out again and fight a second Thanator because we got a lot of mining to do. Like, it's just, it feels so cheap watching it in 2D on your TV. I know why they shot it like that for the stereoscopic reasons, but I fucking hate yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I I know the shots you're talking about. I, I kind of agree with you. I think we're finally through most of the exposition. He's going to get into the Avatar. He can finally walk, and he's eight feet tall, and he's a big blue creature. And all of the doctors are there, and they're like, oh. Hey, buddy, you should probably check yourself before you wreck yourself. And he's like, nah, bro, I got this. And just says, fuck you all, I'm out of here. You You would think a Marine would be better at following orders. Right? Yeah, but these people aren't military. They're scientists and 
He doesn't need to. He, he, he doesn't. He doesn't need to talk to these nerds. I just feel like when you are being placed into an alien body, it makes sense to maybe follow <laughs> the instructions of the experts. This is the part where you do the tutorial. He made us sit through all that fucking <laughs> tutorial, and then he skips it. It's like I didn't know that was an option, Sam Worthington. Fuck. Because I mean, if you were playing the game at this point, you'd be like, "Oh my god, I can do stuff. I'm gonna just run into everything." This is 45 minutes of exposition. No, it is. That's his tutorial was too long. It's like the gate has finally opened, and they're like, "You better go talk yeah, yeah. to Jim over." there he's gonna give you some instructions and you're like already gone you're just like i'm not staying here anymore (laughs) i actually have the horse i can go on the trail now i'm getting as far the fuck away from this horrible snow covered tutorial god damn i hate that game so a little backstory bobby you might not you might not like this but uh uh sean has been trying to play red dead redemption 2 for about three years and like like jake sully sean can figure out how to not punch everything in his path that's right yeah that's exactly it he has to touch everything if i touch everything he just punches the horse in in the face every time (laughs) he tries to go for a ride and then stops playing it was the longest (laughs) tutorial that I've ever played, and yet they never taught me how to not punch my horse. I like that seems like the first thing they should teach you. You are the only person I know who has that problem. I have it every time I play. I know. There was one more pop-up that said, Do you want to punch your horse? And you had to select yes or no. Or Dutch was like, now go talk to Jim if you don't want to know how to punch your horse there, Dutch. And you're like, fuck you, Dutch. And you just went down the mountain and punched the horse. And Arthur never left the mountain. Why did they even make that an option? Why? Just, no. Just, I know. I'm not be able to do that. Because, like, every time, every time I boot up the game and it takes, like, 30 minutes to load because you have to load the entire fucking continental United States. And my character is standing there and he wobbles a little bit and I whistle for my horse and it runs over and then I walk up to it and then I think to myself, now which button is the button to climb on a horse? And then I press like circle because I'm like, I think it's circle. And then he punches the horse in the face and the horse kicks me and then runs off and then I don't have a horse. Anyway, that's how I feel about Avatar. I just imagined you as a Twitch streamer, and that's all that you do. (laughs) All right, guys, I'm gonna get it this time. I got a good feeling about this time, guys. And like everybody thinks it's a bit, and we're just like, no, it's sincere. He hasn't figured out how to not punch the horse. He's got three thousand viewers. So so, so Jake Sully runs out of the building and punches a horse in the face. Is that gonna be our new thing when a character doesn't know what they're doing? Is they just go and punch a horse in the face? And with Stephen Lang's voice echoing in his head, saying everything on this planet wants to kill you, and if you, if there is a hell you'll want to go there for some r&r he bursts out the door into the sunshine and he's in fucking hawaii it's the most beautiful place the most gentle angelic land you have ever seen in your life and everybody's just like playing basketball and lounging around and they've got a garden that they're growing plants in and then the first plant he sees that he's been told will kill him he puts in his mouth and it's delicious like what the fuck is wrong with Stephen Lang? <laughs> the thing is, Stephen Lang has that badass scar on his face. I like to imagine that Stephen Lang has been out on his own once, and like he had a fucking terrible time of it. 
and he gives this speech to every single person that comes in. Like he had like a, a comical sequence of horrible events. <laughs> and nobody, nobody questions him on it. They all go out all the time. Stephen Lang refuses to leave. <laughs> and they're just like, I don't know what he was talking about. It's not that bad. <laughs> like he's there. never gone out again because he got fucking mauled yeah. by everything. Like, I'd like to see that day, the one day that he went out when he was attacked by literally everything on the planet, and then he got dragged back into home base, just his face torn off, scars everywhere, and he was like, I'd rather be in hell. If hell exists, I'm going to go there for some (laughs) R&R. And he gives this speech to every other person. Every person is like, we're living in fucking Hawaii. He just had a very (laughs) bad day. (laughs) It wasn't even the, uh, the jaguar that got him. It was some sort of monkey. It's just like he should have been pissing off that monkey. It was just a, it was just a super mean monkey. It's one of those monkeys with like six arms. <laughs> he just refuses to go back outside. He's never if gone he's out not again. In either in the helicarrier or the mech suit. <laughs> that's how much protection he needs at all times. And that's why he's been pumping like so much iron so he can fight those monkeys next time he sees <laughs> in them. In case he faces off against that monkey again. He's like, I'm going to be ready yeah, yeah, next yeah, time yeah. I see that monkey. <laughs> yeah. It's got six fucking arms. <laughs> At night, he goes to the window and he looks out. And he can see that monkey's like sitting on a tree branch, staring back at him, just glaring. <laughs> it's just staring at him. And he's just drinking coffee like he is in every battle scene in this movie. Every, is it, is it every single animal has six appendages? Yeah, they're hexapodal. Except for the Navi, right? Except for the Navi, who are just really tall, sexy blue people. Seems a little weird. Is this, has he already had the second? Because he has two meetings of Stephen Lang. And here I want to talk again about Sam Worthington's acting. I complained at the beginning how he's so bland. And in this scene, it really hits home how I have a hard time understanding the narrative of of this movie. His arc is to change from someone who was loyal to the military as an ex-Marine and who had no connection to the Navi or their way of life to then becoming someone who's connected to the Navi and then rejects the military. That's his arc. Mm -hmm. The thing is, I don't know when that happens because throughout the movie, his acting is so like boring and monotone that I can't read into his face. It like, is, is he conflicted at times? It's when he gets the alien pussy. That's when it, that's exactly that. It's when he gets the alien pussy. Is that it? Because there's other times when he's like... That's the turning point. But he's been with them for like three months at that point. Like, that's like the day before the battle. So, like, that's not even an arc. Like, there was no change. Like, he spends three months not learning anything, and then he gets laid, and he's like, oh, transformation. I'm a totally different man now. Yeah. That that is it. That is his character change. That's the the moment. To be fair, he probably has not had sex in a long time. Yeah. But uh, they they have hair genitalia and regular genitalia, so probably... Pretty good sex. Don't have hair genitalia. What are you talking about hair genitalia? Come on. It's not genitalia. I mean... Rob, you're describing the fact that one of the interesting world-building elements in this movie... There's like three interesting sci-fi elements, I think, in this movie. And one of them is Mm -hmm. that everything on this planet has evolved these external, like, nerve linkages that can be connected to other organisms on the planet. Yep. When you entangle these kind of nerve appendages mm-hmm. that come out of these these ponytails on the Navi or like little trunks on certain other animals, um, you can feel some of the electrical stimuli that the other creature is feeling and vice versa, or for foliage as well. So both the fauna and, and foliage. 
I think that's an interesting concept, to be perfectly honest. And I'm not sure I've seen an equivalent concept. I'm sure there is a sci-fi book where something similar has happened, but I just don't know it offhand. I think it's quite cool. It's one of the interesting things that I like about the movie. It's uh, it's the Matrix uh, I Know Kung Fu. They're getting stuff downloaded in their brains. They have uh, ancestral memories they can. But no, they're not. They're, that's not. They're no. It's it's not that. It's a kind. It's not that. But there's a little bit. Like it's not like I know kung fu, but they can like hear memories from ancestors. Sort of that, but they just hear voices. I mean, that's just more of a spiritual moment. It's supposed to be that your personality, your memories, who you are, uh, is made up of electrical signals in your yep. brain. And there are echoes and imprints of that in the home tree, in the goddess tree. And so you can hear those echoes. What that means, I think, is left up to interpretation because it's meant to be quite spiritual. They're not really downloading or learning things. Sigourney Weaver literally says they can download information. Yeah, but she's it's a dumb she doesn't really Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> what that is, that line is setting up why she's in the sequel. It's because ah, uh, she gets downloaded into AWA. Gotcha. But it's not like you plug in and you have the memories of something else or you, you know, you can like read their mind. I mean, you're reading when you're plugging into an animal, you're reading their mind. They're reading your mind. No, it's more supposed to be that it's a connection of like it's it, it's a shared experience. They literally say think go. And it'll go. It is reading your mind. It doesn't speak English. It sure as shit does. It's not reading his mind. He is conveying a desire to move forward. Mm -hmm. And that is being conveyed to the animal. In the language of English. No, it's plugging the controller into port one on the system and pressing forward. That's literally all he's doing. Yes. That's it. Yep, sure. I agree. That works. Yeah. It's reading his mind because he's telling it to do that. All right. Well, we're maybe saying the same thing with different words, but we're, like, we're, we're reading into this way too much. He spent 15 years. I don't think we can read into it way too much. But it was fun to think that every time he connected to that horse, that he was kind of fucking that horse. Okay, I'm definitely editing that out. <laughs> <This is> <laughs> you were watching a very different movie than you, we were. You, you argued with us for 10 minutes to make a joke about Jake Sully fucking a horse. You're not wrong. So he says, he says he'll be his man on the inside. Stephen Lang says, you do this to me, I'll get your legs back. And he points at the mech to his tiny little man legs in the chair and says, your real legs, mind you, to care of my own. And then struts off in his military. Again, first draft, and it's amazing. He says to Jake in this scene, and this is kind of where the movie was like, oh, right, this movie's, like, kind of a problem. <laughs> kind of. He says, I pulled your service record. Venezuela, Nigeria. Very nice. And I was like, what was America doing there in the space future? That's kind of a no, problem. He says that was some mean bush, is what he says. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> See, this that goes to the turning point in the plot now. It's intentional. It's supposed to be, and that's part of the character arc. James Cameron thinks that he is making a political statement against American imperialism. I want to stress, thinks that. You know, I mean, like, it's all a metaphor for indigenous uh, North Americans, but, you know, it's also a metaphor for South Americans as well. And you can see it as a metaphor for American imperialism. American imperialism. In South America, British. he's drawing these connections to paint that as a bad thing. Which is true. That is correct, James Cameron. Yes, that is correct. The, the, the problem I have with the movie is that he has decided to convey these ideas and these political statements in the package of a white savior narrative. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 
which bugs the hell out of me. White savior narratives are such a trope that you could even do an interesting story about a white man, stranger in a strange land kind of a situation. And that in and of itself can just become problematic because it plays into all of these tropes that have racist origins, even if you yourself mm-hmm. are not being racist. However, I think this movie is kind of racist. <laughs> like, yeah. I think James Cameron mm-hmm. is just kind of racist in the way that he is building this narrative. Like, this white man comes to the planet and, like, Gaia blesses him as soon as he fucking gets out the door. Yeah, as soon as he's, like, not within the compound, he's just, they're just like, oh, him. Yeah, we, we pick him. Yeah, like, he gets, he's a fucking incompetent loser who can do zero. Like, he, he doesn't know how to do fucking anything. Except he's just a cis white man, and he gets into the jungle, and Zoe Saldana is introduced. We're basically here in the movie, and yeah, she sees yeah. him. She's gonna shoot him because she knows that she's he's gonna a kill fake him, Navi. She's gonna kill him because she's like he has four fingers. You shouldn't have made all your fake Navi have four fingers because they're very easy to spot. And so she's going to shoot him. Except then this, like, seedling jellyfish thing lands on her bow and arrow. And she takes it as a sign that Gaia, I'm going to keep calling it Gaia because it's basically Gaia, the goddess of the earth that they worship, has blessed this person, this Navi, this Jake Sully. And then (laughs) to further hit it home, as soon as they get together, a whole bunch of these sea jellyfish land on Jake Sully and like bless him. They're just like, oh, he's the chosen one. And it's like, really? Like, you're, this isn't just a white man is in a strange land and has to like rise to the occasion. You're literally saying, the first white man that comes into his village is blessed by the god and, like, is given the power to save them. Like, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The Navi are racially coded. Like, we as white oh, yeah. people watching the movie are meant to interpret them as either being indigenous or Native American or South American. 100%. And none of, and the, the actors who are playing them, like, so West Duty is indigenous, but then you have, I think, CCH Pounder, uh, playing her mother. And I don't think any of the Navi aren't Caucasian actors. There might be some background ones, but the, I don't think any of the leads are. And so, like, they're, they're coded for you as a white audience to read them as being different than you. And it's mm-hmm. kind of really fucked up it is but i the thing is it's also intentional and james cameron thinks that he is making a political statement because he he is intentionally coding them i think it's about 75 percent indigenous american 25 percent african yeah it is kind of the mixture of how they kind of lean into the cultural s- stereotypes that they're taking with zoe saldana being i think she's puerto rican dominican i think she's half puerto rican half dominican yeah, yeah, yeah. both of those are james cameron intentionally saying this is about colonialism and that's not in and of itself bad. You can make a story where you code mm-hmm. aliens as indigenous American or as African because you are telling a story about colonialism. Like that's how you yep. tell a story. That's how you make a metaphor about colonialism. Yep. It's just then he made other racist decisions in how he told that story, in my opinion. And it bothers me. And like this, the second part of it too is I can't remember her character's name. Uh, Zoe Zeldana's character name. Natiri. Natiri. Okay, guys, I have to run to the washroom, so I need you to carry my body for the next two minutes, okay? Okay. <laughs> we can wait for him to get back, or maybe he can talk, but, like, she's very sexualized. Like, they made... She's a big blue alien that, like... Doesn't wear a top? 
Yeah. That doesn't wear a top and like the wind is constantly blowing her shells to the point that you can almost see her blue nipples, although I don't uh-huh. know if the Navi have nipples, but like that adds this other problem to it too, is that Correct. not only is there like this coding going on, but she's so sexualized to the point that, yeah, as we said, his like whole plot arc is once he fucks her, he realizes, oh wow, I should side with the blue people. If you made the whole story with, I mean, Sean's gone for this, but if you made the whole story without Jake Sully, a hundred times better. Totally. Yeah, if it was just a story of, if it was just their story of them fighting back against imperialism without this, like, white dude in a skin suit saying, like, I'm going to, like, teach these blue people how to be blue and bring them all together. Like, yeah, that would be a better movie for sure. I, Sean, I, I agree with you. You on were that. gone to the washroom. But I just said, like, if they made this movie without Jake Sully or Sam Worthington, 100% better. If Natiri was the main character and it was just about her. Yeah. Put like uniting her people and better fighting. Actor. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna listen to that. When I listen to the episode, I'm gonna listen to your explanation. I'm gonna be like, oh, I agree with you, Rob. Like, okay, let's skip ahead, but let's just quickly go over it. Uh, it's it's as you said, uh, it's him learning how to hunt for about forty minutes. Can I say a few things? Sorry, if we're gonna start skipping ahead, I just want to say a few things just about actually when he first meets Natiri. He's confronted by a Thanator, which is the armored panther. And there's two things I want to say about this armored panther. The first is that I hate the CG on these animals. It looks like second generation Unreal Engine where mm. like everything is rendered to look like it just rained. Like that's the only texture that they can give something. Uh, it's the dragon from Enchanted. The one it's that the I dragon liked. from Enchanted. Because everything looks like it just rained because that's the only way that yeah. they can like render light hitting an object. Everything's very <laughs> shiny and glimmery as yeah. if it's wet. And it looks terrible. I think the motion capture on some of the Navi, specifically Zoe Saldana, is still fucking cutting edge. It's amazing. It's yeah. still the best you're going to see, even 14 years later. Like, Zoe Saldana is hands down the best part of the movie, right? We can Absolutely. agree on this. Both her performance yeah. and the motion capture and animation that uh, Weta did to bring that character to life yeah. is fantastic, and it holds up 100% 14 years later. Um, I don't think the CGI on any of the other creatures in this movie holds up. I think it looks bad. Is it the six legs that makes it look bad? No. It's the it's the Unreal Engine 2 effects. Like, they don't move naturally because they have six legs. And is that making our brains be like, that's not real? No. Their skin looks fake. It looks like it doesn't okay, exist. Okay, okay. Right, but is, um, what I'm trying to say is, is there some forgiveness there when it's something that, like, oh, I know what four limbs look like, and the, our brains inherently accept that versus uh, the six legs? Because every time there was, like, the horse, I was like, that looks kind of janky. Well, the horse, I guess, but the panther, to be perfectly honest, I didn't really notice the panther had six legs. Like, you can see it if you're looking, but it didn't okay. jump out to me. Cool. That was a legitimate question. It just looks like it's... PlayStation 3. <laughs> Which is the era. Okay. For me in the animal thing, it's not so much that they looked bad, but it's as my wife was kind of jumping in and out watching the film with me, and she kind of pointed out, and I agreed, it's that their character design, like the actual design of all the animals is really kind of uninspiring. Oh, Space Panther, Space Hyena, Space Wolf, Space Pterodactyl, like it's... Space Horse. Yeah, they're not doing... There's nothing interesting about any of it. None of these stand out. Was that an intentional decision? So we have that analog one-to-one -one 
because everything else is so ridiculous, like it's all CG, do you think that was intentional? I don't think so. I think it's it's a lack of imagination, and I agree with Bob. Okay. Um, I don't think that goes through the entire movie. I think big picture, just going to name a few things. I think the floating mountains are cool. I don't care if there's a scientific explanation or not. I think that's cool. I think the bioluminescent effects at night are very, very cool. I mm-hmm. think that's a great way to show an alien world. I think outside of those two things, <laughs> it's just they're in Hawaii with jaguars. You spend 15 years building an entire alien world. The fact that it's just Hawaii and those are just jaguars is disappointing to me. And the one thing that jumped out at me, and I'm going to be talking above my pay grade here. So I'm going to be sounding like a pretentious nerdy little, uh, I'm pushing the glasses up on my nose and I'm going to say how smart I am. And maybe I don't know what I'm talking well, about. Well, uh, actually, uh, Halloween was... Uh, yeah, it, All Hallows Eve was actually the day after. Um, you know, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. And so I apologize to anyone listening to this who thinks like I'm a fucking douche. So this Thanator is an armored panther. And I was reading some background on developing this character, and they thought of it as the apex predator for the planet, essentially, for this region of the planet anyway. It's the most vicious really? thing you can encounter. Not the Turok, whatever it is. Well, no, that's just like a big bird. But it, this panther is a land-based, most vicious apex predator land Gotcha. That bird isn't going to eat the pa- panther. It's too big. But anyway. I mean, that, that um, would be a sweet movie. <laughs> So, but this panther... Wait a fucking second. (laughs) Could a panther connect its braid to the the Turok? And could we get a panther riding a uh, pterodactyl? Because there's nothing in the rule book that says those animals can't connect their braids. And now I do want to see Avatar 3. (laughs) Avatar 3, the panther rides the pterodactyl. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. the subtitle. <laughs> I'll, I'll be, in, I'll be, I'll, I'll be in line for like fucking midnight for that. Yep. Shit. Bobby, Bobby said, "Fuck Avatar two, but Avatar three is the Panther rides the pterodactyl," and he's like, "I'm not seeing the second one." But boy, you got my money, Jim, for round three. Imagine if they had like a um, like a post credit sequence at the end of Way of Water. <laughs> <laughs> That's just, just the pterodactyl and the, like, panther looking at each other. <laughs> yeah, it's like, do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want to? <laughs> it's like Jake Sully comes back home. He's getting a drink at the end of the movie. He goes out onto his, like, balcony. <laughs> he looks up. <laughs> and then he just spit takes whatever he's drinking as they fly by him. Roll credits. Boom. Avatar. <laughs> Says, next Christmas. Avatar 3. The panther rides the pterodactyl. <laughs> He'd get me. He'd get me. I'd be like, God damn it, the man did it again. Another $3 billion. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I did have an, a nerdy thing. I did have a nerdy, obnoxious thing I wanted to say, though, because this jumped out at me. So the Thanator, when it confronts Jake, it has these, like, frills that come out, right? Like, it has these, like, oh. armored little plates. I know what you're And they say. come out, and it makes, like, a hissing sound. It goes, right? It's like a frilled lizard. And it's what's known as a startle display. And apex predators don't do that. Because the technical term for that is dimatic behavior. 
And it is to startle a predator to make you think that you are dangerous so that you have time to run away. Yeah, that you're bigger than you are. If you actually are dangerous, you'll just eat them. You don't have fucking frills that come out to make you look bigger than you are, which is called a bluffing display or dimatic behavior. Why would this fucking apex predator do this? It would just eat you. Yeah, the reason panthers don't do that is they don't want to scare you away. They want you to stay right there for one more minute so it can eat you. And that's what Correct. this thing wants to do. Why would it have a startle display? So in Avatar 3, it can do it in the sky. <laughs> While it's coming down to eat you, it goes, I'm going to eat you. (laughs) To be fair, I would be startled. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm just walking down the street with my Starbucks, and I look up. (laughs) Fucking panthers riding a pterodactyl with a little lizard fro going, (laughs) I guess we're jumping ahead a bit, but uh, when when Jake Sully shows up on the... The, the giant pterodactyl and they all worship him like a god if the uh, oh, the panther had done sake. that they would have um they would have just accepted them as their ruler as well <laughs> <laughs> oh wow all right you know what let's get to it because honestly this movie's 3 hours long but i'm perfectly comfortable jumping from what is approximately minute 45 to what is approximately minute 2 hour 20 nothing fucking happens there's just a bunch of shit of him trying to fuck the blue girl and then he fucks the blue girl and it's really fucking creepy. Oh, I do want to talk about him fucking the blue girl because it's so funny. So he fucks the blue girl and he's supposed (laughs) to go home because like Stephen Lang is like, uh, you gave us all of this great intel. I'm going to get you some legs and you can go home now. And he's like, oh, but there's actually this really important thing I need to do. He's like, what do you mean important (laughs) thing? And it's fuck the blue girl. (laughs) It's fuck the blue girl. He's like, no, there's like this ceremony. It's it's very important. You know, everybody's really, it's important to them. I can't miss it. And he's like, okay, I guess if it's that important. Um, So they go and they have sex and then they fall asleep in a dewy meadow. Well, Zoe Saldana wakes up the next morning because the mining company has sent their tractors in to bulldoze home tree. And so she wakes up with these like big horns because the fucking tractors are tearing down the entire forest. And she's like, wake up, Jake Suli. There's a bunch of tractors. And meanwhile, he's eating breakfast with Sigourney Weaver and he's not in his body. So she can't wake him up. And like the tractor's like approaching him. And he's, like, about to die. And watching, I'm like, wouldn't that be a funny way to explain how you're, like... Because you, they just got married, essentially. In their in their culture, yep. they just got married. That was their wedding night. They had sex. Yep. She goes home. And she's like, so, how was it? And it's like, well, the sex was good. But he's a really heavy sleeper. And he got run over by a tractor. <laughs> when he finally does wake up, the tractors are there. And he's like, fuck you, tractors. And he breaks a little tractor camera. And Stephen Lang was like, that's my favorite camera! And then he, like, goes in there and he punches him in the face guys 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 guys! this is the first example that we get of an enhance Stephen lang brings up the uh brings up the video on the monitor and goes enhance i i just want to say i'm gonna keep a running tally of every time that there's an enhance in a film if you're gonna keep a running tally of how many enhance exist in our films and we're mostly doing disney films from the 60s you're not going to have a very long tally. <laughs> it'll be Avatar, and then, like, we'll, we'll, it'll be my sub list, okay? <laughs> All right. We'll see. If you find a second yeah. one, I will be impressed. That's like, fair. if we're watching, like, Greyfriars Bobby, and an Enhance comes up, I'll be like, holy fucking shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that's yeah. the sixth one. Rob was onto something. <laughs> yep. Again, okay, my wife was kind of jumping in at one point, and she was like, I don't remember. Is this supposed to be the army, or are they just, like, space black water? 
And we're like, oh, there's, there's space, space Blackwater, Blackwater. For yeah. sure. That's what the sequel's about. The Way of Blackwater. <laughs> <laughs> and knowing James Cameron, it'll be exactly that. And he won't think he's being a fucking idiot the whole time he's making it. Can we talk about Jake Sully's tattoos? The CG tattoos? <laughs> I wrote that down so many times. Every time that his tribal tattoo showed up on his arms, oh, I wrote it down. There they are again. When he's in a tank top, you can see like his right arm has like a tribal flame tattoo going down it. And you're like, first of all, super douchey. But second of all, all right, so this dude already has a history of cultural appropriation. <laughs> he's, a, he's a Marine. Of course he has tribal tattoos. Jesus. The thing, I want, I honestly have a question here, though. On his other arm, he has a second tattoo. And I'm not sure if there's a shot that shows it clearly, but it says born to, and then there's an F. To my mind, that's like, well, that either means born to fight or born to fuck. Do you think Jake Sully has a born to fuck tattoo? <laughs> uh, again, he's a Marine. Yes. Um, is that, that's not some sort of space Marine tattoo that we're supposed to believe it was his unit or whatever? The, the born to fuck unit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just asking. Okay. I think the most clever line in the movie is actually the Navi, and it's her father that says it, and it's the world building that is referring to him as a dreamwalker. And you as the audience know right away what that means, and I was like, and I, I'd forgotten about that, and I was like, oh right, that's like actually kind of clever can you fucking imagine the first time that sigourney reaver rocked up as an avatar and like who the fuck are you why do you have four fingers because she's wearing like cargo shorts and like a correct a stanford tank top yeah right so that she wants the aliens to know where she went to university she got custom made because it's for an eight foot tall person but the whole bit where they say when they brought Jake Sully back to meet mom and dad, and the dad says, we've never met a warrior version of him. Let's teach him our ways so we can study him. It's not like, let's just keep him around. Let's literally teach him all of our secrets. But you need it for the rest of the story. It's so fucking stupid. It's quite dumb, but I did like how the Navi are basically like high school jocks (laughs) who are like so impressed that they have one of these fucking dreamwalkers who isn't a nerd that they're like, oh, fuck, you're one of us. Not one of them nerds. You could be part of it. You could could sit at our table at lunch. The whole premise is that they're doing the same thing. Jake Sully is sent there to learn their ways and get intel on them, but they're going to learn intel on him. But like, okay, don't just give away all of your secrets. Don't just be like, by the way, now you're one of us. They do it just for the same reason anything else in this movie happens, because he's a mediocre white man. Right. In James yep. Cameron's world, those people get everything handed to them on a silver platter. <laughs> I want to touch on the attacking home tree scene a little bit, just because it has my it has my favorite scene of Stephen Lang, where like all the tanks are rolling in, and he's just drinking a cup of coffee, and he has he nurses that cup the entire scene and doesn't spill it once. This scene's like kind of fucked up, very too very fucked up. when the tanks show up the, the navi are just shooting arrows at tanks and helicopters and you're like they're smarter than this they would they wouldn't like they know they're not gonna do anything it's really weird and michelle rodriguez has the stupidest line yeah. in the movie where like they're shooting everyone and she's like I didn't sign up for this. She turns around and leaves. And I'm like, you absolutely signed up for this. Yeah, you yeah. joined a fucking PMC. Like, correct. You joined Space Blackwater for the sole purpose of killing the indigenous population of this planet. This scene also has the 
Jake convinces them to be like, look, just let me go back in and talk to them. I can get them to leave. You know, this is his low point. It's just uh, such generic storytelling. It's like, yes, I was, I was, she's all that in you, but then I actually fall in love with you. But like, it's, it's. So I can get behind she's all that because the premise was, is I'm going to take you to prom. I can't get behind the premise of, by the way, we are going to literally destroy everything you hold sacred, uh, by, and kill your father and murder a bunch of people. And then he shows up on a big pterodactyl and all is forgiven. I don't get that. I don't get his arc. And this is again, I know you guys said, oh, he has sex. And so he changes allegiances. It's, it's the antithesis to Sersha from Willow. Um, she got the D <laughs> yes. and she switched sides. He gets the P and he switches sides. He says things like, I fell in love with the planet. I fell in love with your people. And it's like, did he? When did that happen? I can't figure it no, out he because his acting is so bland that I don't know when he changes. He's just always monotone. So it's the scene where he's eating the eggs and he's unconscious. That's the Okay, chain. so like Rob just suggested there, they reject him. Home tree goes down. The Navi have to flee to a sanctuary place. And he's like, how am I going to win back Zoe Saldana now that I've destroyed their entire village? I've destroyed everything they've ever known. How am I going to win her back with one romantic gesture and also become king of the planet? <laughs> There's Correct. only one way. Yeah. And that is is that he has to ride the biggest pterodactyl. And so they they get to the scene, they get thrown in space jail where they're all in jail together. And then this is where the breakout happens where Michelle Rodriguez breaks all of them out. And you get, like I say, one of my other favorite shots, Stephen Lang, as Robbie said, kicking down the door of an airlock building, holding his breath and trying to shoot them with a handgun. Partly relevant because Sigourney Weaver gets shot in the escape. And so then they try to download her into Gaia. Jake Sully says, uh, we could ask them for help. And she says, why would they help us? And I said, you are correct, 100%, just fuck off and die. Like, I hated the rest of the movie. All of these people had, like, starring roles. I just wanted the Navi, the next time they showed up, just put an arrow in their fucking face and deal with it. Because at this point, I was like, the betrayal is so, so large that, like, they should not be in the rest of the film. I agreed with Sigourney Weaver so much there. Why would they help us? They should not have. I hated it yeah, so much. Yeah, I know. Much. The betrayal is portrayed as if it's She's All That. And in She's All That, the betrayal yeah. is, oh, actually, I've embarrassed you. In this movie, they play it off the same way, except the betrayal is, I killed your father, destroyed your village, and there's so many dead bodies back there. And I've been reporting on everything you've told me in every aspect of your village to the PMCs the entire time I've been here. Oops, I should have said that before we did that ceremony. But I'm a dude, and you know how dudes are. And then he shows up on a big pterodactyl, and all is forgiven. And that seems so fucked up. Because, like, he, they're, they're having, like, a sacred ritual, which is, like, musically coded. This is what pisses me off. The way that James Cameron approached this story. It's another fucking white savior story. But in this particular white savior story, the way that he becomes king of the planet, the way that he shows them that he is literally their betters. 
Like he is better at being a Navi than they are because that is what this scene entails. Because she says, Uh my great grandfather rode the great pterodactyl and that was such an impressive feat. He united all of the Navi clans because they were like, anyone that can do that is the best fucking Navi. They become King Navi. And so then he becomes King Navi by also riding the giant pterodactyl. Except how does he fucking do that? He's like, well, I just decided to try and do it because I don't think anyone tried before. And it's like (laughs) the contempt that that showed for the Navi people is like, oh, anyone could have become king, but they're too fucking stupid to try because this giant pterodactyl actually doesn't ever look up. That's his big thing. He's like, I just, I just thought, well, maybe, maybe if I just did it, I would. And then I did. <laughs> like, that's, that's how he becomes king. It's like sword in the stone, except the sword isn't in a stone. It's just lying there. And he's like, well, nobody actually tried to pick it up before. No one tried to pick it up before. That's how he becomes king. And then they show up and they all start worshiping him and bowing to him. And it's like, oh, fucking- I hated it so much. I hated it so Fuck. much. Yeah. Okay. So then because he unites all of the Navi in the planet, including teasers for the sequel, because there's the water Navi people who are like, you're going to see us in the sequel. We're coming back. The, the, the fight the fight is landlocked, but there's more movies <laughs> coming. <laughs> more movies coming. Look at, there's this one shot of a beach. It's coming back. So then you get to the third act where basically they just fight. Big picture stuff. We can talk about some of the details. I don't want to skip all of it because it's, yeah. it's important and it's long. The big picture opinion, I'm just going to say off the top. It's pretty good. Um, you know, I think to some extent this movie has like an Avengers 2012 vibe to it where like the first two thirds I think are kind of genuinely bad, but it has a pretty decent third act action sequence, which I feel like tricked people into thinking the movie was better than it was. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can see that. This is the part that James Cameron does well. It's the, the make the pretty things go fighty fight and it works i liked that when they were loading up the c4 that they're going to use to blow up their sacred tree i legitimately thought the marines were loading up flats of beer for the celebration (laughs) after the fight (laughs) c4 beer get drunk with a boom i also uh like how uh stephen lang uh is referring to himself as papa in the third act um, his call sign is Papa Dragon, because of course it That's is. That's right, I wrote that down. Uh, and he refers himself, uh, in the third person as Papa all of the time. And not just in a come to Papa sort of way, he's just like, all choppers on Papa. It's like the funniest fucking thing. So, they fight in the air, they fight on a plane, lots of stuff explodes. They fight on the land. It's Dragon versus fighter jets and helicopters. It's kind of cool. Oh, at a Michelle certain Rodriguez. point, they defeat what? Michelle Rodriguez. She dies, and she's called Rogue One, which is kind of weird. She's called Rogue One. Yeah, yeah. She decides to uh, uh, paint her helicopter, uh, so she stands out uh, from the rest of the helicopters. I thought it would have been a very smart idea if she would have just, you know, not, not done, done that. that. <laughs> And uh, yeah. just, like, sneak attacked all of them. And then she gets a clear line of sight on the helicarrier and just decides to uh, shoot some bullets at it when she could have just rocketed the helicarrier and kill it right then and there. Yeah. Uh, and then, so she shoots a couple bullets at the helicarrier and then immediately blows up and dies. <laughs> it's one of the funniest things. And I wrote earlier in the movie, I was like, why Why is Michelle Rodriguez in this? And, oh, it's because they needed a taxi. 
They needed someone to drive them from the base to yeah. the Hallelujah Mountains and back. That is the entire plot point. They try to give her something heroic to do, and then she just doesn't do it and blows up. That is her entire character. All of this culminates in Stephen Lang getting in a mech suit, jumping down to the surface of the planet, and fist fighting Jake Sully in his avatar body. <laughs> and yep, this isn't as good as I want it to be. I I, I don't know how to say it. There's a part of me that loves Stephen Lang in a giant mech suit holding a mech suit bowie knife fighting this <laughs> giant blue man. It's so fucking stupid that I love it, but it just feels so yeah. tonally out of place. The rest of this movie takes itself so seriously that I have a hard time enjoying this scene as much as I would like to. Like if the whole movie was this i would i would genuinely like the movie it would it would be good like it feels like this is sort of getting back into some of the silliness that felt like it goes through all of aliens like there's characters throughout all of aliens that kind of captured this silliness but this climax just comes out of nowhere and you're like okay i'm digging it but where did this come from yeah i, I like that for a good chunk of the fight like he spends a good part of that fight on fire um, his arm is just on fire for a while, and then he jumps in the mech, and then the same arm of the mech catches on fire. I, that <laughs> made me chuckle a bit. <laughs> At the end of the movie, Jake Sully does not defeat the bad guy, but the real hero of the piece, she kills the bad guy at the end, because she's clearly the better character, and... I was so happy. The movie was supposed to be about her the whole time. I do want to say one more thing just about the climax, though. Before Zoe Saldana kills Stephen Lang, uh, he's fighting Jake Sully, and he realizes that they're fighting conveniently right next to Jake Sully's human body and his little guy, too. And he's like, oh, that's convenient. I'm just going to smash this, and then you're going to die because your human body will start suffocating on all of this swap gas. Smells like eggs. Yuck. <laughs> so he smashes the glass. Jake Sully and his avatar body collapses and Jake Sully wakes up and he can't breathe in his little uh, avatar chamber room. And Zoe Saldana, after she kills Stephen Lang, is like, what's the deal with Jake Sully? He's lying here on the ground. And then she sees his little chamber and she's like, oh, I think I understand what's going on because he's a dreamwalker. So she goes into this like little chamber thing and – Human Sam Worthington is lying there on the ground choking to death, and he's like an inch tall, and she's like this 10-foot tall woman. <laughs> and she like picks him up. And watching it, I the first thing that came into my head was I was like, another man lying about his height. <laughs> Where she's like, Jake, yeah. Jake, your profile said you were eight feet tall, Jake. What the fuck is this shit? Okay? You're not even tall for a human. Okay? Like, I, I maybe if you were tall for... You're not even six feet tall. You're like 5'8". Okay? There was one line, though, that I did like. I mean, if we can disregard... Uh, again, Zoe Saldana is amazing. But if you disregard all of the the white savior shit, where she, like, picks him up and says, Jake, no, my Jake. I was like, she's really good. She was good in that scene. I really dug I that. I think her and Stephen Lang are, I have no, no notes. They're amazing. And they soar above every other actor in this. They are film. such a different performance. It's hilarious. Oh. Like, Stephen no, Lang I, is I totally agree. Broadest. Stephen Lang is in a cartoonish 80s film, over the top Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. performance. Yeah. 
Zoe Saldana is giving a very nuanced, emotional, Oscar-worthy performance in a lot of ways. I'm totally yeah. agree. I think both are great. Both yeah. the diametrically opposed. Somehow they're in the same movie, and everyone else I is just terrible. It's just a bizarre film. I don't, I don't get how they're in the same movie. And then we get uh, Jake Sully. Uh, he's going to go back to Awa and download himself into his Avatar body permanently, so he won't have his human body anymore. Uh, it works, and then we get because to- Zoe Saldana saw how short he was, and she's like, "This is this is not okay. I'm I'm not attracted yeah, to you anymore." No 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I thought yeah. you were eight and a half feet tall. Uh, we have a problem. You're very pale. But so he wakes up, and we get the same shot of him waking up in the cryo chamber. Uh, his eyes open up in his avatar body, and then one of the most confusing thing, two of the most confusing things, uh, in the whole film. It cuts to the Avatar logo, which is green. And I don't get it. It should be blue there. It's Avatar. Everything that we've ever seen about Avatar is blue. But for whatever reason, the first time that you see the logo, it's green. I'm like, that's not green on any of the posters. What was the choice behind that? I don't get it. It should be blue. I hope they rectify it for the sequel. And the other thing that doesn't make sense is the Leona Lewis smash cut from James Horner's score to the end song where they try to do My Heart Will Go On Again. It's one of the funniest things in the entire world. It's like mid-drum. It's not even like they finish the the score cue. It's like they cut the score cue off, they hit skip, and then Leona Lewis's song starts. It's so bad. Yeah, I agree. I want to say something about the score here. Uh, James Horner did the score. He did the score for Titanic. He did the score for Willow, which we talked about a few weeks ago. I read an article by Dr. Wanda Bryant where she discusses working with James Horner because he approached her during pre-production for Avatar because James Cameron knew James Horner was going to do the music. And so while they were preparing everything, while they were doing pre-production, they were designing the characters, the artwork, he asked James Horner to write – uh, cultural music, music for the Navi, that the Navi would play and they could perhaps incorporate into the movie, that they would sing and incorporate into the movie. And so James Horner approached Dr. Wanda Bryant, who is an ethnomusicologist. She deals with folk music from around the world and asked her to provide him with some examples of basically new folk music, new sounds that he could try to create an alien musical language out of. So she gave him a bunch of examples like Swedish cattle herding calls, Chinese traditional work songs, (laughs) uh, microtonal works from um, the Middle East, uh, Central African vocal <laughs> polyphony. Sean. Sorry, you said Swedish cattle herding songs. Swedish I cattle herding think calls. Of something yeah. calls. I'm sorry. Like what I think of the movie Avatar, that is two hours and forty minutes. I cannot think of something further from Swedish cattle, cattle herding, herding calls. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Um. So you're bringing me to my next point. She brought all this to James Horner, and then she and James Horner worked together to compose a few traditional Navi folk songs that could be used as the melodic texture of the compositions for the movie. And they brought it to James Cameron. And James Cameron apparently was like, no, this is too fucking weird. I want something that people will like. He was like, no, nah, this microtonal stuff, is that's out of tune. I don't like it. I don't like any of this. Make it like my heart will go on. 
So they didn't use any of it. And she seemed quite perturbed by that in the article. Uh, instead, James Horner produced an extremely bland, generic horn score that mostly relies on a single theme, the same theme that comes up during the end song. And lo and behold, it's just my heart will go on. It's the first the first two notes are the first two notes of my heart will go on. It goes near far <laughs> and it it's so disappointing and bad in my opinion but reading that background i have to say well maybe it's not james horner's fault i mean you can only do so much before you're just like i guess you just want my heart will go on again you literally just want me to go like da da and james cameron's like yes that exactly perfect do that throughout the entire look, look, movie look, look james if i could speak james to james with you, uh, the last one made six hundred million dollars. If I can speak one James to another, if I can speak one James to another, uh, that last uh, that last song you did for "My Heart Will Go On," uh, it it uh, it made a lot of money. Uh, so let's do that again, please. Anyway, I, I don't like the score; it's bad, and it annoys me. And that final song is even worse. As bad as the score is, when they go to that final song, I'm like, ah, somehow he made it worse. I find it so funny that both this movie made more than Titanic and was even more of a global phenomenon. And that song did fucking nothing. Nothing. Because like yeah. Titanic, where you're like, why was Titanic such a huge success? Well, a whole bunch of reasons. It was a pretty good movie. Leonardo DiCaprio, it had this cultural significance because they had just discovered the actual Titanic. And then My Heart Will Go On, number one for like ever. It was on the radio all the time. And it's like, that was a big reason why Titanic was big. And then they tried to do it again. And it's like, maybe that wasn't a big reason why Titanic was big because <laughs> nobody fucking liked that song from Avatar, but it still made $2.7 billion. So who knows? It was also the number one movie ever twice because they re-released it last year's re-release in march of 2021 disney released the film in china and that's what got its bump up to being number one again although way of water is getting a china release so it's okay. gonna make bank boys we're gonna get an avatar 3 at least we're gonna see that panther ride that pterodactyl <laughs> he, well, he, he, he's, he's, he's made avatar 3 hasn't he like he he he's finished post production. He's he's getting he's finished filming Avatar three, but he's holding off on four and five. The last I heard was that he's he's comfortable ending it at three if nobody likes them, uh, but he wants to make them forever. I think is what it is. He's just gonna make a Terminator in the Avatar universe. He's like, I wouldn't mind making another Terminator movie. He'll just put a Terminator on Pandora. The only thing that can stop the Panther riding the pterodactyl is a Terminator. Like, it's literally just Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, with, with like, the explosive ball of light, and he's just, like, in a crater naked. (laughs) Like, the Panther riding the pterodactyl flies over Like, yeah, because because Skynet found something more threatening than John Connor. (laughs) It's a Panther riding a pterodactyl. (laughs) Let's do our ranking and then get the fuck out of here. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Bob. I really did not like this movie. I am going to put this below Million Dollar Duck <laughs> and above the Even Stevens movie. Wow, that's really low, man. Uh, so that is going to be, I think that's number 23. That is, that is low. Wow, that's really fucking low. I, this movie really bugged wow. me. As I know we've talked about it and like, I don't know how much we need to reiterate the point, but I know James Cameron thinks he's being clever and poignant and he's not. 
it isn't any of those things. This movie, this movie like bugged me. And by the end of it, I was quite uncomfortable. And yeah, yeah. as yeah, we yeah. were working up to talking about this podcast, I was actually quite nervous about how to approach talking about it and how I could talk about the things in this film that made me uncomfortable because it, it really just like, it's offensive. It it is. Yeah. It, it it bugged me a lot. I mean, it's still better than Oz the Great and Powerful and like the <laughs> even Stevens movie, despite having it in the name, is not a movie. <laughs> Avatar's still better than James Franco not doing anything. You'd rather have Sam Avatar Worthington. is still better than the Disney Channel original movie. movie the even, the Stevens even Stevens movie. movie. <laughs> Put that on the poster. And that's only a movie because they called it the Even Stevens movie. Otherwise yeah. it would just be a TV special. Fair enough. Rob, where are you putting this? I mean, there's, there's, I'm of two minds. Uh, I'm on the same page as Bobby. I, I found the whole white savior thing completely offensive. And I, I, as soon as like Home Tree was destroyed and her dad died, I wanted, I honestly wanted Zoe Saldana just stab Jake Sully's dead body and then we'd be done with it. And like she could have been the hero for the rest of it. But then like the third act, there's a lot of flashy lights and the third act is a lot of fun. You know, if you can, which I don't think you ever can get over the, like, I'm sorry I killed your dad and displaced your whole race of people, but look at my pterodactyl. Um, if you can get over that, the third act is kind of fun. So I put it, uh, because I think it's hilarious, uh, I put it right under the Country Bears, because I want to say that the Country Bears is a better movie than Avatar. And I'm going to keep those two side by side for a long time. I said Reign of Fire was a better movie than Avatar. So it's number 11. Or 12. I agree with you, Rod, that The Country Bears is a better movie than Avatar. Um, I think I do have it a bit lower than you, though. So I saw Avatar in theaters, like everyone in the world, apparently. Yep. Uh, I thought it was fine. I thought 3D was very, very impressive. I thought some of the VFX and the motion capture was very, very impressive. I walked out being like, that was an adequately enjoyable experience, and then I didn't really think about it again. I know that's the general consensus where people talk about how, like, oh, I saw Avatar, and then I forgot about it entirely, and now suddenly there's going to be five more of them. Uh, I hadn't seen it again until last week, thinking I'm probably going to think the same. I'm probably going to think that it's fine. And I did mostly think it was fine. I watched it. The 3D wasn't there. So that was a downgrade. It visually was not as amazing, not only because time had passed, but also because I think a lot of the shots that were shot for 3D generally look like crap without the 3D element in them. But as Robbie said, and as I agree, I think the third act kind of like brings you out of the movie thinking higher of it than you otherwise would. Ah. Because uh, it's an enjoyable action sequence and it kind of – you leave being like, oh, that wasn't so bad. That was a lot of fun. And so after I watched it for a second time, I kind of thought I was going to put it somewhere around like Enchanted. Somewhere around like 13 maybe. Like yeah, in my kind list. of where I have it. I had to like kind of get my thoughts together because like it's it's such a long movie and like there were so many things that bugged me about it. I liked some of the action and, and VFX elements but there were so many things I didn't like that like – I started putting my notes together and I kind of like started skimming through the movie again. And as I watched scenes kind of like out of the immersive experience of like being there, I was just like, this is, this is terrible. <laughs> this is just honestly bad. And the more I thought about it, the more I grew to kind of hate it. And I it dropped further for me. I, I think right now I'm going to put it below the sign of Zorro. 
I'm going to put it above Million Dollar Duck. <laughs> so that's number 17 for me. So 2009. I'm going to briefly go through the movies that Disney released in 2009. One of them was not Avatar because this was a 20th Century Fox movie, even though that's now owned by Disney and even though Disney is now releasing the sequel. So it's all part of that Disney empire. But in 2009, Disney released The Secret of the Magic Gourd, which is a Chinese film. I feel like I already talked about this, but I couldn't have because yeah. we didn't do a 2009 film. I think you did. Maybe, maybe they released it multiple years. Maybe they, maybe it's an annual release and I don't ever notice. <laughs> maybe every February, Disney releases The Secret of the Magic Gourd and we just never go and they just, they're just waiting for someone to notice. They also released Confessions of a Shopaholic, the Isla Fisher film, which was actually produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. What a weird thing. Jerry Bruckheimer has a deal with Disney and he's like, I'm going to make Pirates of the Caribbean. Boom. I'm going to make National Treasure. Boom. I'm going to make Confessions of a Shopaholic. Tumbleweed. <laughs> Jonas Brothers, the 3D concert experience, actually had the same stereographer as Avatar. There was oh, only wow. like one dude at the time who could do high-end stereoscopic 3D cinema. And he did the Hannah Montana, best of both worlds, 3D concert movie. He did Avatar. And then he did the Jonas Brothers 3D concert movie. This is what he did. Race to Witch Mountain, the Dwayne Johnson remake of... Escape to Witch Mountain. Hannah Montana the movie, which isn't the Hannah Montana Best of Both Worlds 3D concert movie. It's the narrative Hannah Montana goes to a ranch and rides a horse movie, which maybe we'll get to. Earth, Disney nature documentary about a planet called Earth, I guess. Um, Up, the Pixar film. That movie's so fucking good. Lily the Witch, which is a German film that was produced and distributed by Disney. And uh, I've never heard of it, but apparently yeah, it was a release that they, they did that year. Um, the Proposal, the Ryan Reynolds film. G-Force, the other Jerry Bruckheimer <laughs> release that year. Jerry Bruckheimer was on a roll. He was like, you thought National Treasure and Pirates of the Caribbean were good. I'm going to give you Confessions of a Shopaholic and Hamsters Who Are Superheroes. X Games 3D, the movie. Disney was having a 3D year. They really were into that 3D shit. 2009, man. Danny Way, like, doing some kickflip indies in 3D? Like, what's up with that? Yep. I guess. Walt and El Grupo, a documentary about Walt Disney in South America. Imagining there's a bunch of animals getting thrown off a cliff. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, look at them go! (laughs) That's just how Walt sounded when the camera wasn't running. Yep. (laughs) He he was the voice of Mickey Mouse. That is how he sounded. (laughs) Surrogates, the Bruce Willis movie. Fuck oh, that movie's terrible. That. Oh, it's it's trash. That's um, is that Jonathan Mostow? This is a weird year apparently for Disney. So they started off with a Chinese film. Then there was Lily the Witch, a German film, shot in Germany, released in Germany. Disney film. Then they released something called The Book of Masters, which was a Russian film released in Russia. They were they were trying something this year. Yeah. Then they released the Jim Carrey Christmas Carol movie. Bobby Z. I, I almost watched that instead of Muppet Christmas Carol last week. And I wasn't going to tell you guys. <laughs> despite us? <laughs> despite you. <laughs> and so if you talked about it, I'll be like, this is what happened. But I thought you guys were getting mad at me. It would have been funny. Although I would have felt slightly sorry for you. I don't know. Maybe you would have liked it more. I don't particularly love that film. I've seen it. I haven't seen it. Oh, well, maybe next year. Next Christmas, Christmas. boys. Old Dogs, the John Travolta Robin Williams movie, where they're dogs. I don't know. I've never seen it. Are they dogs in it? I don't know. The Princess and the Frog, animated film. 
replacing Splash Mountain at Disneyland. And Wizards of Waverly Place, the movie. Disney Channel movie. I thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah. That was 2009. Not a particularly notable year for Disney. A lot of foreign films in there. A lot of stuff I've never seen. Might be interesting to check it out. What's the biggest movie for them that year? Up. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Up. They had a massive success the year prior with the first Iron Man film, though. They didn't own No, that was not Disney. The first Iron Iron Man Man was released by Paramount. Okay. I thought that was. They bought Marvel... After Iron Man 2. Really? I thought I thought it was before that. It might have been just before Iron Man 2 came out, but it would have been literally like just before the release, so it yeah. wouldn't have affected the release oh, of okay. that. okay. So they, pro- they might have bought the property, but they wouldn't have had the films yet. Okay. But they definitely hadn't even purchased Marvel Studios in 2008. Okay. When both Iron Man and Incredible Hulk came out. 2010, Iron Man 2 came out. That might have been around the time Disney purchased Marvel Studios. 2011 was Thor and Captain America, which were still released by Paramount because they were still being produced under the Paramount production deal. Okay. Even though Disney now owned Marvel Studios. And then in 2012, Disney bought out the deal. So Avengers, which was still under the Paramount deal, and Iron Man 3, which came out in 2013, were both under a five-picture deal with Paramount, and Disney bought it out. And part of the buyout was they gave Paramount like 25% of the proceeds. And so Paramount made like $400 million to not release two movies. Hmm. Jesus. Interesting. Disney still made out like bandits on that, I'm just going to (laughs) say. They still made money, but like Paramount made more out of not releasing the Avengers and Iron Man 3 than they made out of releasing the other three movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's ridiculous. Business. Capitalism. Isn't it fun? This is a bad year for Disney. I think the second biggest release from them was either, uh, was probably The Proposal. The Ryan Reynolds film. That movie made a lot of money. Which was a touchstone release. Yeah. A Christmas Carol, the Jim Carrey, Bobby Z movie, might have made more than The Proposal. I know it made a decent amount of money, but it cost a lot. They kept releasing The Polar Express, uh, but they did not re-release. I think they did one time The Christmas Carol. So that's how good the quality is. It's less good than The Polar Express. Which is terrible. The Polar Express is not a good No, no. Movie. It's got the, the, the hot chocolate. Tom Hanks sings about hot chocolate scene, and that's it. So to end us off, Bob, I'm just wondering, can you and your best Stephen Lang impression tell us to tune in next week to the podcast War Tennis Shoes? I going to say, be careful with who you suggest him to do it like. Yeah, I was like, Ooh, okay. Tune in next week to the podcast War Tennis Shoes. I'm going to do that again because that wasn't very good, son. This Earth Gravity's <laughs> done made me soft. <laughs> Tune in next week to the podcast, more tennis shoes. You want to go again? Nah. We've gone long enough. <laughs> That's the show. If you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time, send us an email at thepodcastwartennisshoes at gmail.com. We can also be reached on Facebook and Twitter at podwar. That's at P-O-D-W-O-R-E. And if you like the show, give us a good review on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. We hope you tune in next time. Thanks.